I'm Sean Sheehan. And I'm Rodney Robinson. And this is the Teacher's Caucus Podcast. This meeting of the Teacher's Caucus is now in session. I'm Sean Sheehan, and with me as always is Rodney Robinson. Rodney, how are you doing today? Um, like all educators right now, I'm just trying to keep my head above water and, you know, make it to Christmas break so we get some time to to refresh and come back in January, hopefully in a better mood. Yeah. I, How about you? For sure. You know, I think I get the sense that folks across the, the state and country are really putting out fires on their campuses, um, some, maybe some <laughs> literal fires, and then others, you know, just, you know, just trying to make it... Um, and that's like par for the course to be fair before we lead into like the the winter break but i think the the omicron has has got folks starting to get worked up again too so um yeah. it'll be interesting to see uh, yeah i just i think the the holiday break for or winter break for folks can't get here soon enough but um yeah. you know we've got so we've had some stuff going on in this country you know and uh, we were going to talk about some pretty serious stuff this evening, so we needed uh, a well-qualified expert to join us, and so I reached out to my good friend Rick Joseph. And so, Rick, welcome. Please say hello to the audience for us. Hello, everybody. It's great to be with all of you. Thank you, Sean and Rodney, for having me on. I'm I'm honored to be here. We're so glad to have you, man. Yes. Well, Rick Joseph is a national board certified teacher and has taught fifth and sixth grade at Covington School in suburban Detroit since 2003. He previously served as a bilingual educator for Spanish and trainer for nine years in the Chicago public school system. Rick has a bachelor's degree in English from the University of Michigan and a master's degree in elementary education from the University of Illinois, Chicago. He's currently pursuing his doctorate in literacy from Walden University I know him best as the 2016 Michigan Teacher of the Year. He is married to Mary Beth Seafelt, an artist and art therapist. Mary Beth and Rick have two sons, Zachary and Nicholas, and he lives in suburban Detroit. I think I think we got it all there, Rick. So tell us. Um, all right. Oh, yeah. So um, just give us the pulse. What's going on in Michigan? You know, we we had a very very serious event happened in Michigan with the school shooting. So just give us a little bit of the pulse of Michigan right now following that such a serious, you know, event. The pulse, I would say, in Michigan is that, like in a lot of places all across the country, people are are um, scared. I, I think they're they're overworked. I also think that they're tired. And, and that, of course, is attributable to the pandemic and the fact that all the issues that go into being a public school educator um, before the pandemic didn't go away. <laughs> the equity issues and um, you know and and the 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 lack of recognition and the the lack of adequate compensation, et cetera. But then the pandemic comes along and and for those of us that uh, you know were were educating kids um, over zoom or um, you know some somehow online and then moving into a hybrid role, and now um, back in person, um, it's stressful. It's and and just a week ago, um, eight days ago, there was a school shooting in Osprey, Michigan, as you as you just mentioned, Rodney, and that has created a whole nother level of of fear and concern and upset. Um, it's 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 um, very palpable. You know, it, it's the kind of thing where people f feel 
like it's March, even though it's it's early December. It's almost like we um, our, our 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 stress bucket is already full and overflowing. Yeah, that, I mean, it's a stressful time right now, and I know even in Virginia, we've felt the the stress from the Michigan event. I know locally there were two schools that were shut down because of two school systems where they shut down because of threats, you know, and another school system that, you know, had another threat. And so that that stress, that extra on top of the pandemic is really weighing in on some of our educators in Virginia as well. How about um, Texas, Sean? I mean, yeah, you know, you then every time this happens, that that school safety conversation pops up. Um, you know, I've I've taken public stances on arming educators in the past, uh, like on the national level. Um, and then I, you know, I, I wouldn't underestimate that it was accentuated by the fact that we were all closely watching the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, um, which went, I think, maybe, you know, I, I was going, I was going to say unexpected. Sorry, that that's, that's not the right word choice to use for that. Um, verdict definitely some not, folks definitely not on my end <laughs> it was unexpected for some folks and then uh the Ahmad arbery case uh which which you know was pretty cut and dry and so that did go the way i think most expected it to go and i think like that context again set against you know yet another school shooting just really it weighs on people it takes its toll um so rick you're engaged in some school safety work at the state level tell us more about that so as the Michigan Teacher of the Year, I was um, appointed to the Michigan School Safety Commission, which started out as a task force charged with examining standards and effective practices for preventing school violence. And so there are three organizations that are a part of the Michigan School Safety Commission. The first is the Michigan State Police, and the Michigan State Police coordinate efforts um, between the State Police Department and uh, local school resource officers, because as as is the case all over the country, there's a, there are varying levels of of police presence in in schools, middle schools, high schools, even some elementary schools, where you have deputized officers who are officers of the law, who are full police officers, and then you have school resource officers that have sort of a, a, a slightly lesser level of certification and expertise, and then you have security guards who sort of represent sort of a, a a baseline of, of of protection, if you will, or or a representation. So, in addition, in addition, the state de- state police run in a, um, a service called OK to Say, which is an, an anonymous. Um, it's confidential, not anonymous. A confidential tip line to enable students all over the state to text or call a number if they see something and they need to notify. Um, an authority figure in order to do something about it. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be around violence. It could be around um, suicide prevention, mental health. Um, um, if, if, if people are concerned about bullying or, um, or crime like, like, like um, stolen goods and stuff like that. Um, so the state police have a presence on this commission. There's also representation from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, which represents the mental health side of of the dynamic in regard to school safety. And so there are social workers uh, who, who work at the state level who have talked about effective practices for providing emotional and behavioral support for students 
in, in schools. And then there's the Michigan Department of Education, which is represented by consultants who work at the Department of Education and by uh, classroom educators like myself who, who present sort of the, the ways in which school uh, staff have, have adopted, um, whether it's Alice training or um, run, hide, fight, or, or anything that um, enables teachers to um, handle an active shooter crisis. Together, the School Safety Commission, with these three, these three organizations sort of representing, provide guidance to educators across the state through superintendents. And so what we do is we, we disseminate guidance, everything from how to uh, write a grant so that you can get funding to, um, to provide locks for your exterior doors or cameras for your hallways, to uh, what should you do in the event of an active shooter situation. It, it's sort of a, the commission acts as a sort of a resource uh, in the hopes that local districts will, will avail themselves and... Um, and, and, and promote school safety and safe practices. And so what were some standouts, just from your perspective, uh, uh, from that body? Like, what were some things that you thought were really innovative or, or really had the potential to make a difference? Well, the, the work of the commission is ongoing. So we meet four, four times a year uh, um, in person at the state police headquarters near Lansing, Michigan, our capital, and but with also the option to meet virtually, and the the that's innovative in the sense that there's a um, an opportunity to be present face to face or virtually. That's one thing. The second thing is there is a breadth of constituencies represented. So you have the the state police, the traditional sort of law enforcement. Um, presence, but you also have social work represented, and you have educators represented as well. So that broad-based constituency hopefully lends uh, a balance in in the voices in the room, which is which is really important. Uh, the challenge, of course, is that we essentially issue guidance. Uh, we do not speak to the thorny political issues around gun control, around um, arming teachers, or anything having to do with with um, the contentious use of firearms in in general, in that you know in society. Uh, rather, what we do is disseminate guidance that kind of already exists to an extent that's been published by the Department of Homeland Security or by um, by the Secret Service, these federal agencies, the Department of Education, who've already researched and and published um, resources to help schools. Because the reality is, is that, and and this is this is not unique in in our state. But, but there's oftentimes a disconnect between the effective practices, the published effective practices, and, and the dissemination of, those, of that information. Who right. gets the information? What do they do with the information? Do they have funding to enact the, the recommended um, protocols, if you will, or you know, practices? There's so many links in the chain. You know, there's so many variables um, from sort of state-level policy or even state-level guidance and what happens on a daily ba daily basis in schools across across any state, uh, so that's a challenge. Um, nevertheless, I am I am heartened by the opportunity to sort of be in the room uh, as a practicing educator who who has you know faces students every day. Yeah. Let, let me ask you a, a follow up question. You know this, and, um, and uh, you know, and I'm thinking just in terms of me. Um, I'm not going to the state police headquarters because I know I'm going to be nervous walking into that building. So has the commission ever thought about maybe moving that to a neutral site? 
because I know me personally, if I'm in the state police headquarters, I'm silent. I'm not saying anything because I just know I've never had a positive relationship, you know, in police. Same as teachers, you know, sometimes you have to go to the community to talk to the to the families on their own turf so that they can feel comfortable and get good answers. So have you anyone on the commission have given any thought to maybe kind of removing that power structure to a different place? That's an excellent question, Rodney. I I'm I don't think so. And but I I'll, I'll bring that up. I'll I'll raise that as a as a consideration. I I think the reason why that hasn't come up is because the the state police run they they've been charged by the governor to run the school safety commission so there's a lieutenant colonel in the state police whose whose wife is an educator by the way and who is a very pleasant um agreeable um human being i I have great respect for him in the in the limited interactions i've had with him through this commission but he runs the he's like the chairperson of the commission so because he's in charge if you will it hap- the, the meetings happen in his building, in his his off where his office is located. That being said, I think in order for us to perhaps uh, present more of a balanced um, disposition, or 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 you know, with a nod to the other two groups that are represented, you know, the social workers and the and the educators, I think it would make sense for us to rotate sort of our meeting locations. Um, as I said, we are available. We we are able to meet via you know Microsoft Teams. We you know we can meet online and 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 we're afforded all the same level of of participation. But but that you bring up a good point, and it, that's a very very fair point. You know, as a person of color, I I would completely understand, for example, why someone might not feel comfortable going to the 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 police station, if you will, <laughs> um, especially given the history in this country with with uh, police interactions. Sure. Now, Rodney, do you have this kind of work happening in Virginia as well at the state level or? Everything in Virginia right now is on pause and hold because we're in the process of switching, not just switching administrations, but switching entire political operations and who's in charge right now. We're going from one party running things for the past eight years to another party running things right now. So everything's kind of on pause. However, last week, you know, I was at an event and we had some lawmakers and we were talking about educational policy and it was just, it was almost like a throwback event. And this was like right after the shooting. So there was the whole armed teachers, kids are out of control, teachers are dressing like the students, just that whole totally disconnected to what's actually going on in the classroom. And it was just weird because I remember 10 years ago, that was the conversation and we had kind of moved past that as a state, but now we're going back to that mindset and that mold and there are going to be changes in our Department of Education and everything. So we're kind of like in a holding pattern right now where everybody wants to move forward, but we don't know how much, we don't know if we're just going to be recycling old battles right now with the whole arming teachers and that whole thing. Because, you know, in Virginia, we had people that literally like, let's go hunting and go to school, you know? And so like, let's load the shotguns up and have them on school grounds 
while our kids go to school. And so we're we're back to having those discussions again in which we thought they were completely gone. So we really, really are in kind of like a holding pattern right now. But all signs point to we're going to go back and rehash those old arguments that we thought were settled when it comes to school safety. Yeah, and with us po- approaching, you know, 2022 election cycles here in the state of Texas and got a governor and lieutenant governor running, it's there was a lot of talk around after the that awful Walmart shooting in El Paso, yeah. Um what was the year? Wasn't that long ago, right? I don't know, I don't recall if it was 20 or, yeah. or 21. 20. But I think it was 20, yeah. It it seemed like we were really ready to move on some stuff and the governor was was out advocating for kind of maybe I think they were they were trying to double down on like some more strength and like background checks and and those sorts of things keeping guns out of the hands of you know folks who shouldn't have them for you know whether they're like a felony or other things like that they were generally against like mandatory buyback programs and so like let's talk about it Rick take off your take off your school safety commission hat so we're just talking to you know Father, husband, and classroom teacher, Rick, how do you feel about arming educators? I mean, is that is that the way to go? You know, it's interesting because I have a colleague who uh, is a good friend of mine, and I worked with him for almost 20 years. And he, um, his his partner, so in my school, we, we have a team of, there's four of us teaching at fifth and sixth grade that teach language arts and social studies. And each of us have a partner who teaches the same uh, group of children, math and science. So, um, so his partner has my job, math and uh, language arts and social studies, fifth and sixth grade. And this um, colleague has two children at Oxford High School. One is a freshman who was texting her mother as the shooter was across the hall, uh, actively shooting. And then a and then a senior whose best friend was Tate Muir, who was one of the scholar athletes who was killed in the shooting. So this this colleague got a text from her daughter and was just shocked, and um, and and went to him and 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 he couldn't understand what she was saying because she was just completely in shock. And he said, "I've worked with her for 19 years as my partner, and I've never seen her um, emotionally overwrought like this." And initially, he thought that she was describing a school shooting happening in our building, but it was in her children's building. So so she got down to the office and talked to our, our administrators who offered to drive her to meet her kids. And she said, no, no, I'm good. I, I've got this. And, and so so our those of us that work intimately and know my colleague well, we, we've experienced some secondary trauma just, just from that. And certainly my, my colleague who, who was is her partner um, w- w- has gone through all these stages of... Um, the grief process, like like you know, shock, disbelief, anger, um, etc. And and so his initial reaction was, you can't stop a gun with a stapler. You can't stop a gun with a with a with a rubber ball or with a book. Um, you need a gun. So he said, I I would be willing to be that person or group of people if I were trained and I had access to a safe that was biometrically protected where there were handguns and nobody knew about them but me and it was highly um, secretive, secretive etc. I would do that because 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 it took, in the Oxford case, the, this is a school and staff that was Alice trained who followed the Alice training very, very well. Like, there have been praised uh, for the for the way in which they they executed the Alice training with fidelity, the the reaction time of the of the p- 
police was five minutes. They were there within five minutes. The whole affair was over within five minutes. So the response time was excellent. The, the, the deputies ran toward the fire, toward the danger. So everybody in response did everything right and still four people died and seven people were shot, including a teacher. So my colleague's point was, we, we have to arm teachers because, because nothing's going to stop a shooter like, like a gun. And I, and I under, and I acknowledged his anger and he said, I'm just really mad right now. He's like, just listen, just hear me out. I'm just really mad. Cause this was the day after, you know, he had just, you know, witnessed his colleague receiving this text message from her daughter in the middle of an active shooter situation. And then of course I thought about it and then I read the research and I went back and I looked and, um, and I, and I said to him, ultimately the way I left it was, is I hear your pain and I hear your anger and I, and I understand exactly what you're coming, where you're coming from. And he said to me, he said, I'm an air force veteran. I'm a hunter. I have guns at my house, but I'm not a killer. I'm not an executioner. I don't believe that people should have AR-15s and Uzis and, you know, weapons of war. There's no, there's no purpose for any citizen in a, in a, in a, in any society to have assault weapons. They, they just, there is no purpose for it. And I'm a gun owner. Um, and, and so it, it was really interesting to hear his perspective. And, and then I went and read some research and I looked and I saw that there really is no justification for arming teachers. Although there are districts across the country that have utilized biometric safes and have trained teachers in, 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 in self-defense and have armed them. And there are some places where teachers can legally carry and, and, and they can defend themselves when appropriate. And, and there are places where that's, that's happening. But, um, but there's really no research that, that, that justifies the use, of arm, the use of guns in schools and arming teachers. Fundamentally, I do believe that, that arming teachers is completely and totally antithetical to our purpose and mission as educators and as educational institutions. Um, my colleague was saying to me, he's like, we arm we, we, we protect money. We have, we have armed guards in banks. We have armed guards in airports. We have TSA. You know, um, why don't we have armed guards in schools? Well, we do. We have school resource officers, and, and there was a school resource officer in Oxford who was on site. Um, that being said, I, am, I, I have never been convinced, and I remain unconvinced, that the presence of additional weapons in schools will inhibit, stop, or prevent a shooting or, or a death. Uh, because I, I, unfortunately, I believe that until we address more systemic issues around gun control and access to guns and high capacity magazines, and until we enact reasonable background checks that even NRA members agree with, um, we're going to continue to see the presence of guns in schools because for whatever barrier we, we put up, there's always going to be a way around it. And for someone who's determined, they're going to find a way. Like this particular case, the, as you've read, I'm sure, and seen, the Monday before the shooting, the, this this student was shopping for ammunition online, and he um, assured the, author, the the administrators at his school that he, this is he's a target shooter. He's this is a family hobby, and so and sure enough, the Friday before, his father had bought him a this this handgun at a Black Friday sale, and over the weekend, his mom took him to the gun range to practice shooting, which happens all over the country. I mean, people people. Practice target shooting, it's, it's a common sport. And then the following day, the Tuesday morning, the day of the shooting, he had drawn this graphic image, part of which said, help, I need help, the world is, the world is ending. And then there was this graphic image of someone getting shot with a smiley face emoji, etc. Um, but he convinced the, the administration that, that he was designing a video game. Which again, it was believable, especially because he didn't have a prior behavioral, you know, 
record of any kind. So right. people have asked me, you know, what would you have done? And I would basically said, I would have done the exact same thing. I would have, you know, the parents refused to take him out of school, despite the fact that the, 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 the administration said, we want your kid to get counseling within 48 hours. But they went back to work and said, no, no, we're, he needs to stay here, which he did. And then, of course, he proceeded to to shoot later. But but I would have made the same decision. I would have deferred as an educator to keep that kid in school, all things considered, without the benefit of hindsight, of course. Why? Because as educators, we believe that children need not just one chance, but two, three, four, five, as many chances as it takes. That's how kids learn, especially when they're 15 years old, which is the case of this student. Um, they need chances to make mistakes. That's how they learn. We learn through our mistakes. We learn through messing up. Now, obviously, there's a continuum of risk in terms of should this child be removed from school because he poses a threat to himself and others and should not be returned to class. But given all the information that was presented and from what, I, from what I've seen, I would have made the same decision that my colleagues in Oxford, Michigan made. All that being said, I, I remain steadfast steadfastly opposed to arming teachers and to increasing the presence of guns in schools for there's additional reasons I, I, I didn't even mention confusion in a in an active shooter situation um, potentially shooting a student shooting an innocent student even if the student you know it, it, even if I I don't know if I could shoot an active shooter because the active shooter is a 15 year old boy who's obviously ill and distressed so it is the right response to kill him because um, that's what I would do. I would shoot to kill. I wouldn't shoot to maim or wound. Is that is that a reasonable response? And there's people that can will debate all day long with me about that. But I I say no. Yeah, and yeah, I, I go ahead, I mean, Ronnie. Well, I was just thinking, like to me, it's like I have other reasons. Like for one thing, I'm against it for two main reasons. Number one is um, I think about the disproportionate. Uh, suspension numbers and how kids of color are viewed. And the last thing I want is someone who can't determine normal teenage behavior from kids of color from a criminal act to have a gun at their disposal because then we're in a situation where we're going to end up with some innocent kid of color getting shot. And number two, I'll be honest, I work in a juvenile detention center and I've had these discussions with my students you know, when school shootings take place. And I asked them, how do you feel about arming teachers? And one of the first things they said, if there are guns in the building, I'm going to bring a gun or I'm going to take a gun. You know, it's like they they participate like, well, if you got a gun to feel safe, then I need a gun to feel safe. So you're opening Pandora's box right. of just gun activity within a school. And, you know, not to go off on a little bit of a tangent, but... I honestly, you can't, you know, this is my personal opinion. This is not Sean's, you know, gems. But you can't tell me the Kyle Rittenhouse thing did not have anything to do with this. You know what I mean? When, when this happens right after that, where we're making a hero out of someone who just committed, a, you know, a mass shooting, I, I just in my mindset that this has to be related somehow. He has to have in his mindset that, hey, it happened here, and so it's okay. So that had to be part of his reasoning. And that's no research or nothing. That's just my personal opinion of how I feel about it. But I think once you introduce guns to the situation, especially in, in neighborhoods where schools are considered the safe space, 
where they know there aren't guns. So therefore, I can come here and feel relaxed because when I leave school, I know there's a plethora of guns in my neighborhood. I don't think you should bring guns into that environment because you're throwing off the scales of balance to people who use guns for survival. So you're introducing the violence or that uh, that level of violence to a safe space. Yeah, and, and I'll preface with... With my bit, so I'm a I'm a gun owner just recently, actually, but I've always, I'm from a military family, I've been comfortable with guns, I've been to the range a handful of times, fired a lot of different kinds of weapons, and I I feel that, I, I'm on the sense, and look, this is Texas, okay, I'm in Texas, there's the most gun owners in the whole country, right, in this state. Um, I haven't seen a bill that would arm educators in a way that I, I could get behind, right? So I'm not going to, from from me personally, and I've been, you know, documented saying like I think it's a terrible idea, and I still think it's a terrible idea. Only in the sense that I haven't seen it a suggestion that makes sense to me. Um, you know, like, do you? Is it just high school teachers? I mean, what are the qualifications for the individual who can be certified to do that? We've already got enough, like, you know, PD that we've got to stay on top of. Add the, the amount of training that these police officers and, and rapid response teams have to go through. We can't. We cannot match that. You can't. It can't be done. You can't match that, and be prepared to also then teach algebra uh, for for to ninth graders, right? right. <laughs> and the closing the closing thought that I'll give folks is that I'll bet money that if it were me, and let's say I've got you know, a firearm and there's something going on in the building and I'm in pursuit, I'll bet money the that I will be taken down by that rapid response team. And, and I was there just to in defense of the children, right? Like, what what are the odds that they come through the door, they see, you know, I'm 6'1", dark skin, he's got a firearm, bang, right? And that's it, and then that's me, and that's the end of my story, even though, let's say, I was charging toward the the situation, you know? So I, I don't know that folks have thought of that either, you know? Because then how do, how do the responders identify who, in fact, is the active shooter, you know? If, if, if there are a dozen folks in that building armed. Right. In fact, from what I've read, the people who are proponents of arming teachers are overwhelmingly white males. And I think that it's that from that white male privilege that, you know, there's this sense of entitlement and this sense of, um, <laughs> you know, uh, misguided, um, you know, policy regarding arming teachers. And, and, and it reflects that it's entitlement, that privilege, that... Uh, bias um, that that is certainly not not seen um, or or enjoyed by people of color and it also people with emotional illnesses and behavioral you know issues um, those are the students that are going to le- most likely get into pro- get into trouble and could are likely to get shot just like people of color um, and and because historically they always have been disproportionately targeted uh, and impacted by by wrong-headed policies like this yeah, I, I just overall just think, you know, bringing guns into the into a school environment is just overall just a bad idea, you know. And and like I said, Sean, I'm a gun owner myself. Like I'll be honest, I have a I have a house. I have a gun on every level of my house, you know, just to feel, you know. But at the same time, I don't never imagine having to have the gun at school, you know, for that simple reason. It just it just boggles the mind when I hear people say less armed teachers and how much more danger you're putting students and staff in 
when you're when you're having that thought process. And you know, I had someone last week say to me, you know, we need to give the teachers guns, and you know, it's just like, nah, you don't get it. You're 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 far far out of touch with what goes on in the actual school building. And so, you know, oh man, this conversation went by quickly. You know, we're <laughs> we're kind of running out of time, and you know, we could talk about this all day. This is just such a a passionate issue in our country, and we have so many people on different sides. But you know, it's homework time, and so Rick, I want you to give everybody what is their homework when it comes that you think they all should do to to talk about this issue or any educational issue. Well. I would um, assign the following for homework. I would like everybody to consider writing an op-ed around school safety and and especially around increasing funding for um, behavioral health professionals in schools, counselors, school psychologists, and um, and social workers. Because in Michigan, for example, we are 49th out of 50 states in terms of the ratio between students and school counselors. We need um, to vastly enhance and, um, you know, ramp up the number of, of mental health professionals in schools that are available for drop-in counseling, that are able to work with students on a weekly basis and a regular basis to meet their mental and emotional health needs because so many folks in schools are tied up with paperwork and, and um, meetings, IEPs, 504s, etc., uh, but but I would encourage all of our listeners to to pen an op-ed and figure out how they can get it published, either in their local media outlet or um, I don't know, New York Times, you know, if, if, and, and, and get your voice out there. Because as educators, we have, as practicing educators, we have a voice. We are the frontline workers. We are the people who know the real deal. And, and we need to convey that to policymakers who don't always appreciate the reality of, of life in classrooms on a daily basis. The extra credit homework would be to contact uh, your local state representative and state senator and get to know them and see where they stand on issues relating to gun control and mental health and let them know who you are. Let them know that you are a voting constituent and if they're already an ally in the work, then join their fight. And if, they're, if they have a completely different political perspective, seek to, to, to find out why. Are they taking money from the NRA, which is, which is getting money from the gun manufacturers? Um, or do they ideologically believe that, that it's acceptable, let's say, to um, arm teachers and defund uh, mental health professionals in schools? But establish a relationship with them. Talk to them. And use your voice because your voice matters. And that's the homework and extra credit for today. All right. Well, thank you for – and Rick, I just – great homework assignment and extra credit for our listeners. And I appreciate the formality of it too. So let's be clear. Like, you know, the Facebook post might – be effective for your immediate circle, but formalize that process and really try to get your voice out there um, to as many folks who can, and decision makers, the key point here, decision makers who can actually do something about it. You know, when you get into an argument with your uncle on Facebook about whether or not educators should be armed, like that's not, I think we've all been there. It's just the efficacy of that. It's questionable, you know, so formalize that process. I mean, because uh, this affects all of us. It definitely does. So I want to close out with, you know, we are, uh, Rodney and I, and Rick, of course, and, and all of our listeners, you know, I, I'm sure they wouldn't mind us speaking just 
unifying in that we are thinking of those families who have been impacted um, by gun violence in our school systems. It's just a, an atrocious thing. It's it's something that we you know we don't want anyone to have to go through, and it's ridiculous that we have to keep having this cyclical conversation on, oh, here we are again, you know? And so uh, I mean that authentically. I hate the thoughts and prayers thing, but um, at the same time, authentically so. I mean, yeah, we just, we are thinking of those families impacted. I can only imagine, you know, we're putting, you break your father, you know, it's, it's the worst nightmare. The, your your governor actually, I felt, did a, a, a really good job in the press conference in terms of humanizing um, what that looks like at the at the highest level and how how you would respond. I mean, because I got the sense from your governor that it was just uh, it was uh, she was moved, and I'll be interested to see what the follow through is. Like we'll be watching Michigan. I feel like there are a lot of eyes on Michigan, and especially so with the that they've charged. I know we're supposed to wrap up here, but they've charged the parents, right? So this is a a new right. path, and I've been saying for the longest time. I'm like the the folks who bought it need to face charges, you know, in Sandy Hook, like they, I get like there are a laundry list of other things that factor into this, but we've got to start holding parents accountable in these instances. And so it'll be very interesting to see how this unfolds. Matter of fact, we, we should commit to just having you back on for a check-in once that, once yeah. those charges come out. Well, we know what the charges are, but as that case progresses, we'd love to have you back on right. here. Um, yeah, closing yeah, thoughts, Ron? would love to return. Thank you. I just, I just agree with everybody. We're we're in a situation right now where the thoughts and prayers and the 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 vigils and all that is just it's tiring. You know, it, it really is tiring. We need concrete action to to prevent these things, and we need to look at the research. and We know what the research says. The FBI report says you know our arms teachers is not the answer, but there are answers out there. Gun control, you know holding parents accountable. There are tons of things we can do to prevent school shootings. And so if not now, when? We have to we have to take hold of this issue and protect our students. You know, schools should definitely be a safe place no matter where you go to school at. All right. Rick Joseph, 2016 Michigan Teacher of the Year. Thank you for joining us on the Teachers Caucus. Thank you, Rick. This meeting of the Teachers Thank Caucus. Thank you, Rodney. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Is now adjourned. Hey, everyone. If you like what we're doing, hit that follow button on Spotify or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd be honored if you joined the Teachers Caucus by following us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Thank you for helping us grow.